0: presentation of lymphocytic interstitial pneumonia this is a benign lymphoproliferative disorder it is characterized by diffuse or lower lobe predominant ground glass opacities the underlying pathology is lymphocyte expand the alveolar septa and causes secondary compression of the alveoli what this do or lead to is the presentation of the lower lobe or diffuse uh, perivascular ground glass opacities, and we'll see scattered, thin-walled perivascular cysts. This is due to air trapping from the process that we just described. The way I think of it is, instead of saying lymphocytic, I'll say lymphocystic. Also, the L in lymphocystic stands for lower lobe, so lower lobe cyst lymphocystic interstitial pneumonia, Would tell me the cysts that are present in the lower lobe and the uh, ground. The interstitial is the underlying pathology where lymphocytes accumulate in the uh, alveolar septa, causing the compression. Now, LIP may be complicated by pneumothorax in advanced disease, as you can imagine. If the cyst rupture or coalesce form a big cyst that rupture, we will have pneumothoraces. This is associated with Sjogren's syndrome and HIV. Again, lymphocytic interstitial pneumonia. I say lymphocystic. We have lower lobe cysts, and these cysts can cause pneumothorax. It is associated with Sjogren's and HIV. On CT scan, what we see is diffuse or lower lobe predominant ground glass opacities and scattered thin wall perivascular cysts. Pylocytic astrocytoma. Again, just similar to... uh, lymphocytic, so pilocytic, I say pylocystic, and so this is a posterior fossa hemispheric location mass. It's a cyst with a wall both the mural nodule and the cyst would enhance. Typically the age is between 5 to 15 years old, and it has predominant edema surrounding the cyst. On MRI, what we see is typical of these features. We see a cyst with a nodule. Both the cyst and the nodule will demonstrate enhancement on contrast. Cyst would be T2 bright and T1 dark in the center, and it does not demonstrate diffusion restriction, but we do see edema surrounding the lesion. Again, polycytic astrocytoma is a cyst with mural nodule. Both the cyst wall and the nodule would enhance. There would be pro-lesional edema, and the cyst content itself is T1 dark, uh, T1 dark and T2 bright. A non-neoplastic complication of acute sinusitis, typically characterized but by, by subgaleal collection or subarachnoid abscess, and maybe. Osteomyelitis again, non-neoplastic complication of sinusitis characterized by a subgaleal collection, subperiosteal abscess, or osteomyelitis. This is pot puffy tumor. It has a characteristic location and characteristic imaging appearance. So it's important to at least Google it once. Usually related to frontal sinus uh, sinusitis, but also can be due to mastoid pathology. There is higher incidence in adolescents. So higher incidence in adolescents. Typically related to frontal sinus p- puffy tumor. Again, it's a subgallial or uh collection with potentially osteomyelitis. The random physics question of the day What is the exposure limit for the lens? The exposure limit for the lens is 150 millisieverts. Well, let's convert that into millirem. So we said each sievert is a hundred. Rem or each millisievert is 100 milli so 150 sievert millisievert equals 15,000 millisieverts, or if we're going to convert it into the rem, 15 rem. So 150 millisievert is 15 rem. I'm just going to repeat that one more time slowly so everyone is on the same page. The exposure limit for the lens is 150 millisievert, each sievert is 100 rem so 150 millisievert would equal fifteen thousand millirem each millirem is about thou- each rem is a thousand millirem so fifteen thousand 000 equals to 15 rem so 150 millisievert would equal 15 rem imaging features of caudal regression syndrome what we see is on T1 and T2, we'll see conus medullaris that is truncated and sparse cauda equina. This is associated with vactoral syndrome or bacterial uh, birth defic- defects and is associated or seen in the diabetic mothers. Again, cauda regression syndrome, we'll see a truncated conus medullaris with sparse cauda equina associated with bacterial pathologies and is seen in diabetic mothers or in infants of diabetic mothers. Define focal asymmetry. Focal asymmetry is asymmetry in two views. Now, what's the difference? Because a mass is seen in two views, the difference is the margins. A focal asymmetry lacks convex outward borders, and so it's concave borders, what define it as a focal asymmetry. If it has convex or outward, bowing borders, then it's considered a mass. In breast imaging, asymmetry is a single-view finding. If it's a two-view finding, then it is called a focal asymmetry. Focal asymmetry, two-view. Asymmetry alone means it's a single-view finding. Sonographic criteria for HSP or hypertrophic pyloric stenosis pyloric channel length is greater than 15 millimeter, single wall thickness of the pyloric muscle greater than three millimeter, and failure of the thickened pylorus to change or relax during the exam. We can see small amount of material trickling that does not exclude the diagnosis of HPS if there's additional features that I just described. Again, pyloric muscle greater than 15 millimeter, single, so pyloric muscle length, or sphincter length greater than 15 millimeter, single wall thickness of the pyloric muscle greater than 3 millimeter, and failure of the thickened constricted pylorus to relax during the exam. Common etiologies for restrictive cardiomyopathy. Again, this is not constrictive. Constrictive is usually related to pathology external to the muscle. Restrictive is muscle related. So etiologies of restrictive cardiomyopathy, idiopathic, sarcoidosis, hemochromatosis, and myocardial deposition disease, particularly, or amyloidosis is the other term for it. Again, uh, restrictive cardiomyopathy is different from constrictive. Constrictive, usually extra cardiac muscle, uh, so pericardial process. Restrictive is within the muscles itself, so it's typically a deposition process. can be idiopathic sarcoidosis hemochromatosis and amyloidosis or myocardial deposition disease what forms the borders of the quadrilateral space quadrilateral space is formed by superiorly teres minor medially long head of the triceps laterally by the medial humeral neck or the humeral neck and finally inferiorly by teres major again quadrilateral space is formed by teres minor superiorly, teres major inferiorly, long head of the triceps medially, and humerus laterally. Now, this space has the axillary nerve passing through it, and axillary artery pathologies uh, or cysts in this process can lead to nerve compression and damage to the axillary nerve and the uh, muscles supplied by the axillary nerve. Again, quadrilateral space is the space where the axillary nerve passes through and uh, a compression to that nerve would cause pathology related to this process. What muscles are Hypotrophied or small or decreased in size in axillary compression or quadrilateral space syndrome. Typically, we have the deltoid is hypotrophied and the teres minor again. Teres minor and deltoid muscle atrophy is related to quadrilateral space syndrome from compression of the axillary nerve again. Quadrilateral space syndrome uh, associated with atrophy of the teres minor and the deltoid muscle due to axillary nerve compression in the quadrilateral space what are the borders of the quadrilateral space superiorly teres minor inferior teres major medially the medial the long head of the triceps and laterally the humerus if you're given these findings what is the diagnosis so you see venous anomalies on one side of the uh, brain You also see unilateral cortical atrophy and calcification. And on contrast, you see enhancing gliptomeningeal and choroid plexus angiomas. So choroid plexus angiomas, unilateral cortical atrophy with calcifications, and unilateral venous anomalies. The diagnosis is Sturge-Weber syndrome. Again, Sturge-Weber syndrome unilateral venous anomalies, unilateral cortical atrophy and calcification, and enhancing leptomeningeal and choroid plexus angiomas. Physical features, we have the vascular angioma or port wine stain that involves the trigeminal ganglion of the ipsilateral brain. Sturge-Weber syndrome is also known as cephalotrigeminal angiomatosis. So if they're really going to be difficult, they might give that as the uh, diagnosis, cephalotrigeminal angiomatosis, which is the same thing as third weber syndrome. Cephalotrigeminal angiomatosis actually describes it better because we have angiomatosis in the cephal- cephalotrigeminal uh, distribution. What are the characteristics? characteristic X-rays? So characteristic X-rays are X-rays emitted when an outer shell electron fills an inner shell electron place. So an inner shell vacancy filled by an outer shell electron. The outer shell electron will release a characteristic, which is a specific strength signal, uh, which has specific characteristics, meaning a specific uh, radio frequency. And that's why it's called characteristic. That will happen every time the electron moves from the same level, meaning from the same outer electron to the same inner electron, it will produce the same characteristic X-ray with the same uh, strength or same signal characteristic. That's why the name characteristic X-rays. Ultrasound appearance of hepatic hemangioma versus FNH on ultrasound. So on ultrasound, hepatic hemangioma is a well-defined hyperechoic lesion. And FNH, as you would expect, it's a focal nodular hyperplasia. So it's not really much different than hepatic parenchyma. So typically, it's homogeneous with isoechoic uh, echogenicity, similar to the liver. So isoechoic to the liver, homogeneous FNH, hyperechoic, and well-defined hemangioma. What are the histologic types of ovarian neoplasm? So EGS, epithelial neoplasm, germ cell tumor and sex cord stromal tumor as well as metastasis so again epithelial neoplasm this is the uh, almost two-thirds of ovarian neoplasms are epithelial neoplasm germ cell tumors and we'll go m- more into details that's mainly teratoma or dermoid cyst stroma ovaria and then sex cord stromal tumor and metastasis sex cord stromal tumor germ cell tumors and epithelial neoplasm. Epithelial is the predominant composition of ovarian tumors. What is the course of the right coronary artery? The coronary artery courses between the right atrium and the right ventricle and go posterior toward the interventricular septum again. It courses between the uh, in the right coronary sulcus between the right atrium and the right ventricle toward the posterior interventricular septum. What are the uh, major branches off of the RCA? The first branch is the conus artery, sinus nodal artery and the atrioventricular uh, artery, so the SA artery and the AV nodal arteries are both from the RCA. The acute marginal artery which supplies the right ventricle free wall. This is opposed to the obtuse marginal artery, which comes from the left circumflex artery, LCX. So the acute marginal comes from the RCA and the obtuse marginal comes from the LCX. Finally, PDA or posterior descending artery is the terminal branch of the RCA. This terminal branch determines if the patient is right side dominant or left side dominant because the PDA also can arise in a minority of people from the left circumflex artery. Commonly, PDA arises from the RCA and it is the terminal branch. The PDA, as opposed to LAD, LAD courses anteriorly in the interventricular septum. The PDA courses posteriorly in the interventricular septum and can extend and communicate with the LAD. Again, to summarize, branches of RCA, conus artery, sinus nodal artery, and atrioventricular nodal artery, acute marginal artery, which supplies the right lateral ventricle free wall, and PDA, which is the terminal branch of the RCA. Immunocompromised patient with perihilar ground glass opacities, what is the first thing that comes to mind? Pneumocystis pneumonia PCP. Obviously, we just talked about it in the episode from yesterday, but ground-glass perihilar opacities in an immunocompromised patient. If they're showing you a cyst, that's a plus. But otherwise, perihilar ground-glass opacities should make you think of PCP. Low-grade malignancy with large mucus within the peritoneal cavity. This is pseudomyxoma peritonea, typically from mucin-producing adenoma or adenocarcinoma. primary can be within the appendix, ovary, or colon. 20% of appendiceal adenomas or adenocarcinoma will cause pseudomyxoma peritonea, and the tumor droplets spread throughout the peritoneal cavity because of the intraperitoneal fluid currents. We're shown an X-ray of the wrist of a young patient with... FICL plate widening and FICL plate irregularity of the radius and ulna. What is the diagnosis here? What they want you to think of is gymnast wrist, which is a chronic overuse injury in immature skeleton that typically manifest as chronic salter harris type 1 fracture of the distal radial physis. Again, salter harris type 1 because it's opening of the physis and this is a chronic overuse injury. Kind of similar to the medial, uh, medial epicondyle uh, syndrome or little league elbow. Teardrop shape of the occipital horn of the lateral ventricle with dilation. This is colpocephaly and is associated with agenesis of corpus callosum. Again, teardrop shape and dilation of the occipital horn of the lateral ventricle, colpocephaly, and it is associated with agenesis of corpus callosum.